Welcome to the Be Ruthless Show, where we have the conversations that other people don't. The conversations that other people won't. I'm your host, Sam Ruth, and I'm ready to make a lot of noise and disrupt things ruthlessly. Thanks for being here today. Now let's get to it. Welcome back to the Be Ruthless Show. I'm your host, Sam Ruth, and today we have a very special guest, Catherine Just. Catherine is an artist, photographer, and activist living in Los Angeles. Her work has been published on the cover of National Geographic, Inside O Magazine, and shown in galleries internationally. Her work investigate what investigates what lives in between the words and underneath underneath the surface of all forms of relationship. She considers her art process a sacred practice of listening to energy. Catherine got sober from a meth addiction at 18 years old on August 18th, 1987. That was the beginning of her artistic career and a life worth living. She's the proud mama of her 10-year-old son, Max Harrison, who happens to have Down syndrome. She's currently developing the Max Harrison Foundation. The foundation empowers people who have been culturally disadvantaged to have a voice using creative expression. The first program will teach kids with Down syndrome how to use cameras for self-expression. Catherine offers limited edition prints of her work and travels internationally for her photo sessions using large format film cameras. She leads artist retreats in France and teaches courses online using photography as a tool for transformation. Catherine mentors artists and entrepreneurs globally. Thank you so much for being here. I am so excited about this conversation today. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for inviting me. Um, It's an honor. This is I, there's so much we could talk about. So um, healing through art. Yes. I know when you were t- reading my bio, I started getting emotional <laughs> just because I was given a gift when I got sober to find a way to process how uncomfortable I was being here. <laughs> and I don't know if people realize that you can, he- now I, my art is not beautiful like yours, but, (laughs) um, you know, when I lost Jim and couldn't sleep, I was finger painting at three in the morning. Um, there, there is something therapeutic about art. Absolutely. And I feel it, it brings us right to the present where, you know, the mind is so busy, it can pull us out of the present moment. And, and it brings us closer to our version of God, if you want to call it that, you know, to, a conversation with something other than your own brain. <laughs> and, and that's whether it's addiction or grief or anxiety, like that's what it is. We're fighting with our brain. <laughs> exactly. That inner, I call it the inner bully. You know, we think we have a lot to handle out there, but what's happening in here is a whole lot of the same. I mean, if we can become aware of what our mind is saying and how excruciatingly painful it is, we would never talk that way to anybody else ever. Never. So true. Uh, like (laughs) the mean girls in my head were meaner than any other people ever were. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. That's really the work for me is also bringing that to other people's attention that we can change our life by becoming aware of what our mind is telling us and recognizing that none of that is actually who you are. Do other people that you work with, um, I'm sure I'm not the only one who has art that they think is unattractive, that they wouldn't show others. (laughs) Everyone, everyone struggles with this measuring system. Like, and I think 
across the board, we have a measuring system about what's good, bad, right, and wrong, no matter if it's our art or just how we are in the world, like we're measuring it, right, all the time. So we think we're, we're comparing our art to other people's art and we're thinking that's good and ours is bad, when really it's a true expression and we only do what we know. Like, how could we expect to be the person who's in that museum when we haven't been doing art very much? <laughs> like, we, we put all these expectations on ourselves to look like that when really we need to look like ourselves. And I don't do it for that reason. You you do enjoy showing yours. But for me, again, I said it's the therapeutic process. So people who work with you, um, do they do they all end up showing and becoming artists? Well, a lot of people who take my classes don't consider themselves artists. And some of them are at like stay-at-home moms who feel stressed out and like my work and like my story. And I and I say, well, you can use your phone as your camera <laughs> and, uh, and the apps and filters and things. I, I think we use that as a measuring tool too, to whack ourselves with that. We only use our, our phone. I think like the best camera is the one we have handy that's the easiest to use and uh yes some people do I do like to promote like the bottom line is for me the thread beneath through everything that I do is to understand that you are valuable and have something unique to share with the world and to get out of your own way so that that thing can come through you and uh, and that it's actually not about you and it could save you yes it could be that that healing practice that medicine of art is to heal you and then offering it to the world, even if it's just to put on Instagram, might save that other person who sees the art, connects with it, might not understand it necessarily on a um, verbal level, but internally gets you. And there's a connection made that might save their life. So who are you to get in the way of like showing it you don't have to show it in a gallery to have it be impactful. And you look 18, our listeners can't see that, but going back to being 18, did you, um, did you seek out some sort of help or did you just uh, reach a point that you decided I need to stop this addiction and you somehow did that through art? I, uh, I had a moment where I wanted to die. I was on my knees in the, middle of my street with my mom yelling at me as was common back then. Um, and I was on meth and I was coming down off meth and there were helicopters that had started swirling around my boyfriend's house who was also a drug dealer. And I got myself out of there and home, but like there was just a lot happening at that moment that, that brought me to my knees and I didn't want to be here anymore. And I was screaming, I wanted to die. And I heard a voice in my head that said, there's more to this life than what you're living. And I heard it and I've been listening to that voice ever since of like, I've become curious why I'm here. So I told my parents I needed help. I checked myself into treatment. I moved from after treatment, I went directly to Minneapolis to go to a halfway house from San Diego to Minneapolis and learned how to be here, <laughs> learned how to make my bed and do laundry and such things that others do and, um, and learned how to be in the world without leaving myself and continue to learn that 33 years in, like I'm still learning how to love myself no matter what and not leave myself in the variety of ways that we all do through food, shopping, dopamine hits on Instagram, whatever it is, like just learning how to 
handle that there's a part of me that's uncomfortable. And I started my career working with troubled teens, dealing with addiction and all of these things. And uh, not many people can do it and stay clean. So to our listeners who are afraid to ask for help or have gotten help and relapsed, which is so, so common, uh, what would you say to people listening that are dealing with this cycle? Well, um, I, I would like to back up just a second and say that I went to art school right after getting sober because I didn't know what, el- what else to do with myself. And I, there was nothing else I liked. I was in high school and the art teacher told me I was talented and she saved my life. Like there was a woman in my life who paid attention and told me things, even though I was struggling, she knew I was on meth. She never told me I was wrong. She just gave me a gift. And I went to art school and learned this this modality that I could use to process. And I watched people go in and out of recovery. And what I learned was that they were leaving right before a miracle was going to happen. And that most of us get super uncomfortable in our skin, like right before expansion, but it feels like the opposite of that. And, and I, I say often, like, don't leave before the miracle happens. Hang out, become curious, lean in. There might be a reason why you're uncomfortable. Something's coming up that you get to release and look at so that you're ready for the next, which is an unbelievable. You don't know it until you get to the other side. Like, you don't know the miracles that await you if you stay. It makes me so, it makes me emotional thinking about it because I did not know. I didn't know that I could be here in my own skin and not, you know, I can look people in the eyes. Like I couldn't, I couldn't look people in the eyes. I was just very uncomfortable in my own skin. So to say that like my shoulders are down and I don't, I'm not constantly anxious. I'm not as socially anxious. I also love myself even when I'm socially anxious. I, I have just a different experience of living than I ever, than I ever thought possible. And so everyone has that one art teacher, like everyone listening right now, whatever age you are, you have that person who touched you, whether you have gotten clean or you're still using and you can still reach out to that person. Yeah. Yeah. My high school art teacher is my friend. I I told her many times that she saved my life and she would not accept it. (laughs) And then one day, like in my 30th year of sobriety, I said, she reached, she said to me, oh my God, look at your art and all the things. And I said, Susan, (laughs) Mrs. Burke. I wouldn't be here if you hadn't said you're talented and I'm going to sit on you to get you to start making art. Like, you know, she, she was tough on me and, and believed in me before I believed in myself. (laughs) What a gift. And so I say to anyone listening, who's struggling, I, I often hear people will say to me, I didn't want to disappoint you. You know, I, especially if they relapse or they haven't gotten clean and, um, that is the hardest part when somebody waits however long and then reaches out. You're never disappointing those of us that you put in that category uh, because I say that to people also. I did not save your life. You did all the work. Yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't do anything other than see something in you that you didn't yet see. Exactly, exactly. I, I, I do that too, like avoid reaching out because I think I'm, a, you know, that took a while to understand that like, what a gift it is when people call me and tell me that they need help. It reminds me of myself and where I need help, <laughs> you know, like that asking we're all in this together, we're all in this together. And that nothing you can say to me is any different than what 
we we think we have we suffer from terminal uniqueness so <laughs> we can it, it, we can't fathom that anybody else could possibly understand the pain that we have and then when we share it out loud and get that like oh it's universal everybody's having these same conversations it it neutralizes it it shifts things we have a different experience of life we're not as separate anymore and it's it's all about connection. You and I know each other because we're in this community through Haley, who has also been on this show. And I believe her gift is connecting people. And so if any of you listening are struggling and feel like you can't reach out to someone by doing that, you're denying them a gift of connection. And especially through this pandemic we're living through, we all need connection more than anything right now. So if nothing else, um, you can say, I was thinking of you. <laughs> you can reestablish a connection. You don't have to say help. Right, exactly. And I, and I, I think we all struggle with reaching out when we're not doing great because we want to save our face. <laughs> and uh, in uh, AA, they do say you can't save your face and your ass at the same time. And I, I appreciate that because I do have an image to protect. My ego thinks that I need to put on face. Like, I'm fine. We have this need to project that we're fine, but that's actually not being of service to the part of us that doesn't feel safe, the part of us that actually needs a hand. And uh, that happens to be what I spoke about yesterday uh, on a different, uh, but that's what this whole podcast is about, that we're not doing the world any service um, or ourselves. If we don't use our voice and let people know that we aren't okay, um, they can't be there for us. But we also can't educate the world about these invisible things because sobriety, recovery, anxiety, grief, uh, they, they don't look like a broken arm. Right. It's not so obvious. Like my son, you, you can tell he has an extra chromosome <laughs> called, you know, we call it Down syndrome, but he has certain characteristics on his face that everyone knows what that is, but they have a stereotype in their head based on whatever they were taught. But we all that are typically developing, so to speak, all have challenges too that aren't seen. And we, we, we measure it as being good, bad, right or wrong, like I said in the beginning, and it's not, it's not, it's not any of that. We all have needs that are special. <laughs> and, and it's actually usually part of a gift that we have. It usually- yeah. And let's talk about Max. We see him as a gift and as beautiful. Yeah. A lot of the world um, does not Correct. treat him that way, right? Correct. It, when, when I see someone who's pregnant and I'm with my son, I know that there's fear present, that they do not want to have a son like mine. And that's an interesting experience to have as a mom, to go through the world, having to entertain, not entertain, but having to express my experience on my face so that you feel comfortable. So I'm, I'm off. I'm always in that when I'm with my son, I'm always as a mom and also as an advocate for him expressing what is true. That it's okay. I know you're uncomfortable. You can say anything. You can ask me anything. We weren't taught anything. It's okay. But he's actually not the thing you think, you know, he is a human <laughs> first and a diagnosis second. Let's rearrange that, shall we? Let's let's pull that apart. I am not Down syndrome. I am Max Harrison. I am not social anxiety. I am not a drug addict. 
I am a person who suffered from trauma and dealt with it by using meth. End of story. And again, why is it about their discomfort? Aren't we handling this in the world completely backwards? We cater to those who are uncomfortable. And granted, toddlers, maybe they go about it the wrong way and they say, mommy, mommy, but don't they have it right? They're asking questions because they don't understand. Yes, yes. And they, yes. So my experience is that people come up to me and they either say, oh, you're so lucky you have an angel baby. And I say, really? He just bit me. I don't know where you got that information. Or, um, or they look away and their kid will say the thing and they'll whisper something. And none of that's real. The angel baby is a stereotype based on uh, what they think. They, they don't know my son. And, and, and the person that won't, was whispering also is you know basing it on that there's something wrong with my son that needs to be, we need to be quiet about. Um, and I, I feel that I could yell a lot. And I've seen a lot of people who are moms of kids with Down syndrome use their voice in that way to yell at the culture that we're in, who thinks that my child doesn't deserve to have services or deserve to be listened to or looked at or gotten to know. Um, and I do move mountains to get him services, but I've, I've actively chosen to use my art as my platform and to try to just shift it through connection rather than yelling. (laughs) It's my subtle way of, you know, offering another choice because I didn't know until I knew I didn't know. And if somebody started yelling at me about it, it, it would, it's not doing me any, any favors by yelling. I, I, I don't actually change when people yell (laughs) except to like get them to stop yelling. (laughs) You know what I mean? This is my version of yelling. Like, what can I do in this world to say, we need to have these conversations. And and I put these things all in the same category, grief, mental health and mental illness. Like, why are we catering to those who are uncomfortable? We should be having these conversations and educating everyone. And by everyone, I mean, individuals, families, teachers and educators and corporations so that Everyone knows what to do, whether that means bringing staff into companies so the top of the ladder knows what to do for the staff, uh, media, so that we portray it differently. But all I know is that my entire lifetime has been this way. So at 47 years old, nothing has changed. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I knew when he was seven weeks old, I went to the geneticist. I was holding my child. And he said, you know, there, there's a pill you could have taken for that. I wasn't having a problem having my son, but I was just given a whole lot of information about what, what was about to be my life, honestly, is hearing from doctors. Well, he's a Downs. That's not even accurate. But, you know, he's a this, so that. Um, deciding for me what his opportunities can be um, and deciding for him without getting to know his abilities, his his unique abilities. <laughs> and so it's interesting, we do that. We do that to ourselves. So let's let's take a look at that. So I see my son love himself unconditionally. He thinks he's pretty rad. If I ask him, do you know how cool you are? Yes, I mean, there's no question. He knows, he loves looking at himself. He loves making, he loves directing uh, all of us and, and like music videos. And you know, he's just, 
he's a cool cat and he knows it. And yet we who look typically developing on the outside are bullying ourselves in the way that they keep people are bullying my son. Like we don't, we don't give ourselves a shot, you know, in the same way. We don't give ourselves opportunities because we think we are not enough too much. I mean, fill in the blank there. And we're not giving ourselves the opportunity to be fully self-expressed. And we spend our whole lifetime thinking we're not enough and too much because of something someone said, a trauma that was experienced in our childhood that we thought meant something about us. When it didn't, it meant something about that person. And unfortunately, I think that that's also the work I'm here to do because I lived that. So I have a child who digs himself that society doesn't. And, and then I have this unraveling and healing to do around my perception of myself that I try to offer other people too, because suffering, you know, like suffering. And I, and I, I feel honored that he picked me to be his mom and I'm learning what his needs are based on him rather than reading it in a book, you know. It's just all fascinating. It's all fascinating to me. Yeah. And books tell us nothing. I'm a psychologist who knew absolutely nothing about how to handle grief until I lost someone. Right. So right, right. In our last few minutes, tell us about your new program. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I literally was looking at, I'm like, do we need to talk about that? <laughs> we talked well, about it. It does deal with trauma and no, I'm I mean, yeah, the time. I was thinking about the time and how you and I could just keep talking forever. Right. <laughs> yes, I mean, I offer online classes uh, that use art as your medicine. And it doesn't matter if you call yourself an artist or not, but a lot of us suffer from not thinking that we can make art because we all of that stuff gets addressed. All the hesitation, the self-doubt, all of that, regardless of your art practice, just in general. And um, Coming up is a class called The Awakened Abundant Artist. And I combine my work. I, I studied with Miguel Ruiz, who wrote The Four Agreements. I was apprenticed to him, and it changed my life to learn that 98% of the reason why I suffer is because of what I'm thinking, and that I can change my mind and have a different experience of life and be free personally to express myself. So I bring these tools along with using art as medicine to awaken to who we are really, who the essence of who we are and move into a space of abundance. I think we give it a bad rap. Artists don't make money. <laughs> really? Okay. Or that um, that just even being an artist is, is not something that we want to tell certain people because they judge it. Like all of that, we unravel in this 12 week program. And, uh, and I love working with people on, I don't care how much art you make. If you feel like shit about yourself, who cares? Like I wanna to get to the meat at the heart of the matter and, and process about that and shift that. And then that is the art, that is the art. And so, by art, um, I reached out and said, well, is writing art? You know, I think we have to have a broad definition of what art is. If this remotely resonates with you, reach out. We'll have um, ways to reach Catherine in the show notes, but how do people contact you if they're interested or yes. want to learn more? Thank you for that. Yeah. I think art as you're making something out of nothing, you could be an entrepreneur trying to put an online class out, but you're hesitating because you don't know if you're worth it or ready, or if you need another class like that, that is the thing. And you can be a writer, a musician, or want to be, you know, whatever you want to label that. I think artists, we are all artists. We're all crafting a life here. So we're just using art as our medium to work through all that junk. <laughs> so you can find out more about me 
I, I'm very on Instagram, um, and that is C Just. That's my last name, J-U-S-T. And also CatherineJust.com is my website. You can find out all about my courses and retreats and all the things. Thank you so much for spending time with us. Like you said, we could talk all day. So um, thank you. So grateful that we've connected and any final thoughts to leave this? I'm sure our audience will have lots of questions. Any last words? um, Final Thank you for that. I, I just, I feel like we've said, we've said it. I mean, you are, you're really great to talk to Anna and, and you're so insightful and, and raw and rare and authentic. And I really appreciate that about you. And I just think if people are suffering that there is to hang out, to wait, to lean in, and that there is a miracle waiting for you on the other side of that, that's extraordinary that you won't know if you leave yourself too soon. Just don't, don't do it. Reach out reach out and connect with people. Thank you again so much, Um, everyone. Thanks for listening and spending your time with us. I hope you you have a great rest of your day and always stay ruthless. Thanks so much for listening today. Your support means everything to me, truly. If this podcast resonates with you, please do me a favor and join in the ruthless movement by making some noise and doing one of these four things. Subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Tell a friend so we can break stigmas even faster. Leave a review so people can see what you think of the show. And last, if you want to learn more about me and be a part of the Grief Hub community, please head on over to the Facebook group. We'd love to have you. Thanks again for spending your time with us and see you next week.